back, everybody, to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined, as always, by Dante and Tommy. Fellas, how you doing? It's been a while since the three of us recorded, and longer, actually, since we spoke about the Pistons. I know we spoke, uh, Tommy and I did uh, just an episode about the draft. So, oh, It's been a little bit, eh? Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited yeah, to be weeks. back. Yeah. So uh, we got a lot to talk about today. The first topic we can cover, and actually we're adding this in post-production because it happened the day after we recorded the episode. This one's just going to be Dante and I. Uh, Tommy had a really busy day, and we wanted to get the segment out prior to releasing the episode tomorrow. Besides, he's this, really the same mind as the uh, as the two of us. So, Dante, I know you have a lot to say about this. Why don't you tell us your thoughts? Pistons shook up the NBA, trading Rodney Magruder and a 2022 second-round pick via the Brooklyn Nets to the Denver Nuggets in exchange for everyone's favorite 2K My League player, Bull Bull. So Bull Bull, obviously someone who leading up to that 2019 draft was viewed as having intriguing physical potential, uh, some intriguing skill-based upside, because typically you don't see players with that height and length have that sort of skill with the basketball, right? So this is someone who is viewed as potentially being a top 10 or 15 talent, if I'm remembering correctly, but unfortunately slid into the second round, actually 44th overall, in fact, uh, to the Denver Nuggets. And, and up to this point in his career, he hasn't quite cracked a very competitive uh, Nuggets rotation, obviously, them being a, a, a player in the Western Conference. So I think a good move, obviously, Rodney Magruder was a, a, a decent veteran to have around, but he's not doing much for you. And that second round pick belongs to Brooklyn. That's unlikely to be really a meaningful asset. So you're not giving up too much here in exchange for a guy who provides something that the other players on this roster just don't. And that's incredible size. Uh, this is someone who probably can just reach above the basket standing flat-footed, right? So you'd assume he adds a different dimension as a rebounder, as an above-the-rim player. Um, it's a flyer, though. It's a flyer, right? If he was such a great player, if he was someone that the Bull Bull memers thought that he was, he probably would have garnered more playing time in Denver. But you never know, right? He he certainly is not the first uh, Denver Nugget, who may not have been playing the exact role that he was capable of playing, uh, to come on through to Detroit in in recent years. So maybe this is someone who you take a swing on and, and maybe you hit. But even if you don't, you really didn't give up too, too much. So overall, I personally would give this t- trade two thumbs up. Uh, but yeah, you got to kind of wonder what does this mean for the Luca Garzas and Trey Lyles of the world? Does this affect the rotation in any meaningful way? That, of course, remains to be seen. I, I, I don't expect to see Bull Bull playing on, uh, in this upcoming game, and in, in, I believe it's tomorrow. Game after that, I do expect Bull to play. So overall, uh, I guess it remains to be seen how this is going to work out, but I personally am a fan of the trade. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This is entirely a virtually no-cost flyer on a potential talent, the sort of thing you want to do as a rebuilding team. The cost, Rodney Magruder, who was re-signed to the Pistons by all accounts simply because he was a well-liked leader in the locker room. Uh, By the way, had to approve this trade. Uh, He had, uh, due to a mechanic at the CBA, uh, a de facto no-trade clause built into his contract. So my guess is that he either just approved it to be a team player or I'd say more likely because he was given assurances by the Nuggets that he wouldn't be waived. So Magruder and the Nets' 2022 second-round pick, which will probably fall in the almost certainly fall in the 50s. Your hit rate on picks in the 50s is maybe 10 percent, 
That is the percentage of them who actually end up sticking in the NBA. So as far as what Ball Ball will offer, well, in the first place to the Pistons, uh, he'll stick out because he is a player who is both tall and able to jump. We've made a lot of the lack of vertical spacing on this team. So will serve as a lob threat. Uh, has demonstrated some ability to stretch the floor. His interior defense really remains to be seen. He did not play many minutes for the Nuggets. Dante, you pointed out that they had a pretty stacked rotation. He just wasn't able to break in there. So he might provide something. He might not. This is basically a trial period before he becomes a free agent, which is in the upcoming offseason, though he is a restricted free agent. As far as ramifications for the rotation, I don't think that there will be much in the way of those. Uh, Trey Wallace has really established himself as an entrenched member of the rotation. Dwayne Casey clearly likes him quite a bit. I don't see that he's going to lose many minutes, if at all. You've also got Kelly Olenek returning at some point in the near future. And that more or less pushes Garza out of the rotation entirely. Uh, won't leave many minutes for Bol Bol. Where I think he will probably get minutes is down the stretch of the season when if, and I think this is likely as last season, the Pistons are really trying to hard tank down the stretch in order to get the best lottery odds they can, and they start sitting the veterans, I think that, that is the likeliest time at which uh, Ball will get his run. Uh, or if there are other injuries, but we'll see. But I would be pretty surprised to see him get any sort of significant minutes out of the gate. But whatever the case, I, I approve the trade again. If you can get to low cost or very low cost, as in this case, flyer on potentially good talents, then that's a good idea. All right. So I'm going to launch into right now just a hot topic, which is uh, the Pistons actually got a mention on Inside the NBA. For those of you who watched that show, uh, really entertaining. Some good analysis uh, sometimes, but mostly just really, really entertaining. The guys have great chemistry. Some of them had some not so, so nice things to say about the Pistons. I know, Tommy, this is a particularly hot topic for you, so uh, why don't you share your thoughts? Give us some background. I know uh, yeah. I know you didn't feel too good about what was said. Yeah, so for background, yeah, this was straight after the Pistons' 30-point loss to Memphis. And right after, it's Kenny and Charles and yeah, ma- mainly those two guys were just kind of clowning the Pistons' effort level against Memphis. And I just it just didn't sit well with me. And we're not the show that likes to just kind of gas up the Pistons. We don't put a positive spin on things, even if we don't feel like it's true. Like we're, I think in general, we're very honest and, you know, we, we kind of speak our minds to say, the least. yeah. And I hope people trust us when we say that, like, it's just not true. You know, Kenny was, Kenny went straight into like, no, the Pistons just didn't play hard at all. And I don't understand why, like the matchup was not good. Just, just to start there, Memphis, has a dominant front court. It's Brandon Clark uh, on on Sadiq Bay, and then oh, not, or, Brandon, not Clark, Brandon Clark. It's uh, Jaron Jackson. Jaren Jackson. Yeah, and then Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark. That's a very athletic, very strong front court. And then John Morant. Like they scored seventy in the uh, in the paint against us. And I get that. Like it, the thirty point loss doesn't look good. But Kenny went straight into this monologue about you got to play harder. You got to be willing to get dunked on. You're not, you got to beat them down the floor. And I just, it just didn't sit well with me because for all the things that have gone wrong this season, effort level from the team has not been a criticism. It's not been a talking point all year because it hasn't been a problem Uh, for all the negative things that we have to say about coach Dwayne Casey. I don't think that 
not getting his guys in the right mentality to compete is one of them, you know, the, and then people were even criticizing Weaver for, for this one. And uh, Troy Weaver, one of the, the biggest things we even mentioned it on the show last week is that he's very much about drafting the right personalities. And a huge part of that is guys who are willing to work hard. So that has carried into this roster. You know, this, this team is not good. The roster is not good. They have a lot of problems, but effort level has never been one of them. And it really bothered me that Kenny, who undoubtedly does not watch the Pistons, I don't think any of the inside the NBA guys do. And Shaq, I, I will credit him because he started to just talk about, like, they're not talented, which is something that we've said all year. That's the problem. And that is ultimately the problem, not the effort level. So that really just did not sit well with me. I would say it was kind of a know-it-all statement. I don't blame these guys if they're not watching the Pistons. I mean, the Pistons, you say what you will about them. I mean, they have been one of the lowest draws in the league for a long time and and for good reason. And they haven't been exciting to watch. And for those analysts whose job it is to really be up primarily, I mean, and inside the NBA, these guys are, again, it's an entertainment show. I mean, these guys have played a lot of basketball. I mean, between Shaq uh, Barkley and, and Kenny Smith, played a lot of basketball, getting the X and X's and O's, but they're not going to keep up in a team like the Pistons. And yeah, it did. It was unfortunate. You see, I have a guy like Kenny Smith who is really just watching one game and drawing conclusions based on that. It is worth noting that this was the Pistons third game in four nights. They were playing in the second night of a back-to-back and they were playing away. So I think there was some fatigue there. They were also just incredibly outmatched. <laughs> like uh, between, you know, John Morant, yeah, you talk about the front court. I think it's just, they got, they just got really I don't know any other way to put it. They just got walked over. It's true. Charles Barkley talked about just largely how the team isn't competing. I don't know if he meant competing, but just they aren't playing well. And that's there's no doubt that they aren't playing well. Whatever it is. I know it's it can be tempting to just lay it down to, okay, this team just isn't competing hard enough. They're not playing hard enough. I don't think that compete level is, has been an issue with this team. I, I think it's been much less of an issue than it has been with Pistons teams past, certainly. And I, yeah, I think that no amount of compete is going to make a team that has the roster problems this team has, uh, and has the coaching problems this team has, into a team that is going to play respectably. Yeah, no, uh, that's I, I don't want to monologue true. at length about it, but it's like there are major issues with the roster. I know that uh, that the three of us have some differences in opinion as to what brought those about. You know, like why the Pistons have too little athleticism, nobody who can play above the rim and so on and so forth. But also like the team is shot terribly. A team has been missing players. A team is not coached. Well, it just, I think it just boils down to that. It's not pleasant. It's not very pleasant to watch the team, but I don't think that there's that blaming the players work ethic is merited. I don't think that's fair. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think you have to, to really consider that. Listen, I hope this doesn't come across pompous or elitist or gatekeeping or whatever. But if you're listening to this podcast, shows like Inside the NBA, like your first takes, your calling cowards, stuff like that, those are not really targeted at, at fans who are deeply invested in their team, right? Like nobody is watching uh, first take or Inside the NBA to hear Charles Barkley analyze the lack of vertical spacing for, for a reason why the, the Pistons are just not competitive night in and night out. It's it's an entertainment show. Like you guys have said, it's for your fans who like basketball and just want to casually follow what's going on. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if you're looking to these programs to give you like an educated take or an all-encompassing, take, like a really profound take on 
what is going on with each and every organization. It's just, that's asking a bit too much of them. You know, there are guys who cover the NBA for their career and I, guys like Zach Lowe, where we've, we've been um, heavy on the Zach Lowe praise on this show for a long time. And that's a guy who lives and breathes NBA basketball. I would imagine that Shaquille O'Neal's got some other stuff going on. Uh, I think he'd rather probably do another Kia commercial than watch Jamarco Pickett like, on the Pistons, right? Like it's like you just can't expect these guys to really know what the true issues or what the true strengths of a team are. It's just a casual overview. And if those takes are uneducated, those takes are uneducated. But yeah, Tommy, you you put it right. I think there are a lot of problems with this team. Now, the degree to which there are problems and whose fault those problems are, that's something we're going to get into a little bit later. Uh, but the compete level you know, how hard the guys actually play. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's a leading issue at all. I'd say it's one of the most, uh, that's, it's one of the strengths of the team, honestly, for as critical as we are of Casey, is guys do like him generally for the most part. He does get them to play hard. He does get them to uh, buy into a theoretically good culture. Uh, do I think that they go balls to the wall every single play? Uh, not really, no. I don't think they're a hyper competitive team. I, I do see a little bit of pouting sometimes. I think I saw Cade against Memphis really get frustrated for the first time, and I don't blame him. There is some sulking sometimes, but for the most part, like let's call it 90 to 95% of the time, the Pistons play hard. Uh, their effort level is not why they're losing. So just remember that when you're watching, you know, and inside the NBA. Yeah, and I, I got to say, I know they're not going to hear this and they're not going to be offended by it, but I love inside the NBA. And No, they're listening. It's, they're it's, actually huge it's, fans. It's a, it's a great yeah, show. They, they, they were considering bringing you on as the fifth co-host. <laughs> <laughs> but that's over now. I was going to cover for uh, Chuck one of these nights. Yeah, no. No, but they were going to expand it to five. It? I mean, we're going to have oh, five. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, dang. I just blew it. Okay. Absolutely, well, yeah. Then I guess I don't really have to worry about uh Yeah, no filter. Words. Just go for it. Yeah. Well, I w- Shaq even tried to say, like, they don't have a one-two punch, which is to say they're not talented. And – as good as we think Cade is, he really has to work really hard, uh, especially since Jeremy Grant has been out. And that's something that we even said was going to happen. Like teams are going to hone in on him because there just isn't talent around him that you have to focus too hard on. Yeah. You see it when not just Cade, when a lot of guys take it and try even just try to take it into the paint. Usually two guys will collapse inside because you don't have to worry about it. A lot of times our roster is playing two to three guys who can't space the floor at all. It's the reason that we are, I think currently 29th in the league in three-point shooting, where I think we're at like 31%, which is pitiful. You're not going to win games that way, especially when league average is 35 36%. There are guys who have regressed. That's probably more of a problem to me. And it wasn't mentioned. It was just, <laughs> this guy, these this team's effort is laughable. And it's, it's just, it's that's just not the case. Well, you got to remember too, though, like your Chuck and, and Shaq and these guys, they came up during a time where the Pistons were a dominant force. A dominant force, and for the better part of fifteen years, they've just been pretty much been the laughing stock well, of Sha- the NBA. Sha- so really, Sha- Shaq was Shaq drafted. Didn't play. No, Shaq was drafted in '94. He did play against the going to work Pistons, uh, but yeah, Barkley. You could really say that he grew play. up while the Pistons yeah. were. You know yeah. what I mean? He probably Bar- was Barkley growing up against the basketball while the Pistons. Yeah, Barkley played against them. Shaq watched them. You know, as he ascended into the NBA player that he would eventually become. Right. So these the, these guys know that the Pistons are a historic franchise and it probably hurts them a little bit to see us getting blown out all the time. They probably feel uh, like a sense of pride or a sense of nostalgia for that time when Detroit was on top of the NBA. 
figuratively and literally. So it's like they see something like that. They see scores like the Memphis score, and it's probably shocking to them. Should it be shocking? No, they've been bad for 15 years. I, I don't think that this is something that should be new to anybody. But that's probably an aspect of it, too, is that this once great organization in their eyes has been just it, it, it's been the age of darkness like it's been it has it's been thor the dark world for like 15 right. years yeah so you yeah know, this team has probably one of the strongest identities in the whole nba like we the detroit is synonymous with defense it probably does hurt them a little bit yeah or it's, it's just like irritating anyway. especially when especially for like old heads like basketball purists they, they love defense mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that's exactly what they want to see so yeah it probably does suck and maybe they just don't appreciate that yeah i, I don't know uh on on their side though yeah I, I would just basically just just treat the inside the nba for what it is which is it's an entertainment not, program yeah it's it's entertainment but it's also you're not going to get good analysis about a team which is not in the spotlight not in the limelight and is not no. a contender and hasn't been for a very long time hopefully the pistons will be good in the not so distant future and then uh, maybe the average analyst on a show like that will know a lot more about the team though at the same time i don't think any of us should really care if I'm being completely honest, <laughs> no, it doesn't affect anything. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it, it's nice to get. Uh, it, it's nice when your team gets gets plugged and praised on in the national media. Uh, at the same time, I yeah. mean, you're a fan of the team because you like the team. You don't you don't need outsiders, so to speak. You don't need analysts to be plugging the team for you to be no, a fan of the team. No, certainly not. Yeah, but uh, on you know really on that subject of how the Pistons have been playing comes on to a next topic we want to discuss as far as just how the season has gone so far and. Geez, how do we put this? Like, is it going according to plan in any capacity? Like, is 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 how the Pistons have have, have played? Obviously, the injuries and, and the COVID absences and whatnot, and the regressions. That's not according to plan. But like, is how the season is going serving some purpose? Uh, we, I, I really feel like we we we're going to talk about something more definite here, but it's kind of just expanded into more of a general topic. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, a lot has gone wrong. But we have Tommy, for example, you are perfectly fine with everything that's going wrong because it means the Pistons have a, a greater chance of getting another high pick. And Dante, you are less fine with it yeah. because you think it's not intentional and, and and that there are negatives to it. I fall kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with the team being bad while it is well-managed and well-coached and bad. That's fine with me. It doesn't really sit quite as well with me when the team is bad because it is being coached poorly. Or not because, but when bad coaching is part of that and some management mistakes are part of that. So I I guess it really depends on what according to plan. The the definition of that is different for everybody here. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We've been going back and forth on this over the course of the past few days. Dante, I think you're uh, more aligned with the general fan base and just in the way that people have been reacting to the way things have been going. So why don't you talk about the way you think things should be going, or maybe just like your grievances with the way uh, the coaching or the front office have, have gone about things. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and put this as succinctly as possible. I don't think it's by design and I don't think it's okay that we're substantially worse than last year. I think that is the telltale sign that something or a number of things have gone cataclysmically wrong. And there really is no excuse for a team that got the number one overall pick, for a team that signed a couple of 
quote unquote key free agents to be substantially worse than last year. I just, I don't, that logic just doesn't make sense in my head. And, I, and I'll tell you what I mean. So look no further than uh, right down the road, right? The, the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are going to be picking either first or second in the draft this year. They have, they're going to have either the worst or the second worst record. Nobody's making fun of the Lions because as far as the general NFL uh, landscape can tell, they compete hard each and every game. They've pulled off a number of crazy upsets. Oh, so sorry. I have to interrupt you here. Nobody's making fun of the Lions because the Lions are a joke and they've been a joke for a long time. <laughs> I, that, well, see, that hurt me. That hurt yeah, my feelings. I'm sorry to put it that way, but I, I think that's why nobody is clowning the Lions for. I mean, for well, I, I would football. disagree a little bit as someone who follows the team very, very closely. I that's know it's a, it's a cliched thing to say, oh, you know, this time it feels different. And, and trust me, we've gone through that cycle time and time again, not just with the Lions across all Detroit sports. We absolutely have. But with the Lions, there there's a great article by The Ringer that just came out. Um, and it was the Detroit Lions or it was something like the Detroit Lions are pulling off the perfect rebuild. And it was eerily reminiscent of the Detroit Pistons of last year. The quote unquote perfect rebuild, the quote unquote competitive tank, this idea that your young players could play, grow, improve in real time and still manage to be competitive. And I think the entire fan base was so optimistic to end last year that the, the the fall back to earth here has been very shocking for a lot of people, and I don't blame them. So so last year, you've got Hayes, you've got Bay, you've got Stewart, you've got Grant. All of these guys got better and better and better. Well, with the exception of maybe Killian. These guys got better and better and better as the season went on, and they were keeping games competitive, and everybody was optimistic. And now this year, um, you know, the, the odd uh, upset against Milwaukee aside, a lot of these games are over in the first quarter. Nobody wants to watch that. That's a telltale sign that something is wrong. That's a sign that the team is poorly coached, that the ro- roster is poorly constructed, that there's something from the top down that's rotten. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we're in a hopeless situation. I'm not saying that I would rather go back to the mediocrity Stan Van Gundy years. What I am saying is that if you're getting blown out like 60, 70% of the time that you take the floor, something is wrong. And I know I want to let the other guys jump in. I don't want to monologue too much, but this was my, Tommy alluded to this. We were going back and forth and this has been a hot subject of of debate, but we went back and we looked at the last 15 years worth of NBA champions. None of those organizations I would classify as teams who just kept getting high picks, developed the players that they picked and just won a championship. None of them, not one. Not one. I think it requires a lot more than just picking high consistently in the draft to build a playoff contender, to build a championship winning team. And I think the teams that are consistently picking at the top of the lottery, the Pistons, the Magic, the Cavs, those guys don't hold a candle to the Bucks, the Raptors, the Warriors, teams that built differently, teams that built without those high picks. So I just think something has gone wrong and I, and I respect if you feel differently, but that's where I would initialize my, my stance. That I have to respond to. Okay, yeah, a lot of times bad teams are going to repeatedly be picking at the top of the draft, and that's because they're going to make mistakes. There are a lot of things within that, uh, what you just said, that I would like to respond to. I'd like to go kind of break it down because Mike had something to say. But yeah. to that I have to say, like, it's it's not necessarily that you have to pick high. You have to draft well. And Totally the, agree. The teams that have yeah. built teams within the draft – Maybe, yeah, they haven't necessarily picked high. Steph Curry was picked seventh. Giannis Antetokounmpo picked 15th. DeMar DeRozan, who was eventually t- traded for Kawhi Leonard, uh, he was taken ninth, I believe. And Kawhi and was then, mid, yeah, mid first round. Yeah. Exa- yeah. 
and that's that's great. But the chances of finding superstar or generational talent midway, like let's you, you first of all, it has to exist, which not every draft even has. Yeah, you know that level of talent in it. But not only does it have to exist, other guys have to pass on it, and then you have to get it right. And I don't think a lot of these GMs are just like so good at drafting. Like Denver's GM, they they straight up admitted like not so long ago that they just got lucky on Jokic. They had no idea. They had no idea. And he's 42nd pick. I get that. And But the, the idea is that when you rebuild and you tank, you commit to it, and then you build and you develop, and then when you, you, you shoot for like a target year or date, and you at that point you pivot into competing. You know, that's the, that's the benefit. And when you pick high, chances of getting all-stars and great players is significantly higher. If you want to try to build a team through the middle of the draft, which is what the Pistons functionally tried to do in the last 12, 13 years before this draft or before uh, this current iteration of the team. Well, I mean, I think that kind of answers its own. That kind of speaks for itself. It just doesn't work. You get middling talent and you can't build with that. You need superstar talent. And that's, it, it, it blows my mind that it's even a discussion right now. We just got Cade Cunningham number one overall. He's the best player that we've drafted in however long. You know, it works. It's you Isaiah just have Thomas. To commit to it. I would yeah, say, yeah, Isaiah Thomas. He was what the second pick. Yes. Yeah, it's. I, I don't. So when you say that you just need to draft well, one, I mean, as somebody who loves the draft, I just I know the draft is a crapshoot. I, I I'm pretty happy with my takes and how some of my takes have aged out i know that i'm not going to get it right most you just can't like the way that the nba works some guys develop and sometimes it's unpredictable you know even guys who i've really liked who have done well like bones island and iota sunmo it's you can't predict that accurately of who's going to do well and who's not going to so i think it's being overly in my opinion oversimplified in both directions because there are other things that need to come into play i mean you for example you look at like Golden State is one team which did kind of buck the mold in, in terms of drafting like three core players, like their three core players of the wrist championship team, which is Curry, uh, Thompson, and Green, of course. Though, granted, you look at that team and they beat a Cavaliers team that had only LeBron because Kyrie and uh, both out. And then they had Durant the next two championships. Whatever the case, like things have to go right. <laughs> Playing in a big market is really nice. So you can attract these, these superstars in free agency. Maybe your the Raptors and you could take advantage of the availability of Kawhi Leonard. Basically like you have to, if you're not going to get these superstars in the draft, then you have to have some other means of acquiring them. I mean, Kyrie, that was, excuse me, Kawhi, that was just like an, an excellent opportunity brought on by the fact that Kawhi was a giant douchebag who nuked his own trade value and basically forced the Spurs to make a bad trade. So you look at the Cavaliers on the other hand, so you want to talk about how that tanking didn't work. Okay. Well, yeah, they got LeBron back. That was helpful, obviously. And uh, little known fact, probably. I mean, I, I don't know. Not necessarily little known, but whatever the case. Kyrie was actually a traded pick. Like the Clippers made a really bad trade. Not that the not that the Cavaliers weren't bad at that time, but that, that pick was, was originally owned by the Clippers. But there was a first overall pick. Uh, they traded two more first overall picks to get Kevin Love. So they... And and then they they brought back a guy whom they had drafted first overall. The fact that he was from Ohio was helpful. So uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's just you have to take in, into account things like the Pistons are in Detroit. They are probably not going to attract big free agents. And just looking at champions alone, I, I don't think gets gets the entire picture across. 
No, it, it doesn't get the entire picture across, but I think it shows that there's a trend in the NBA. And the trend in the NBA is that picking high year after year after year in and of itself does not equate to a long-term winner. That's just, that's, just, that's, that's an objective reality. That's not, that's not a subjective opinion. That's just the reality is that the, the teams that win championships take advantage of, you know, a Kawhi Leonard situation, a, a Kevin Love trade. Uh, you know, a Drew Holiday trade moves that, you know, maybe the entire league won't agree with moves that are maybe a little unorthodox, but there was certainly more into those titles or those deep playoff runs or whatever the case may be than picking high repeatedly. That's just a fact. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. Right. And so with the I would I would even push back on, on what you said, Mike, about, you know, Detroit's not going to be a free agent destination. You know, typically really the free agency destinations you think of are the Lakers, the Heat, you know, cities that are that are nice and hot and young socialites like Ben Simmons can go hang out and go to clubs and stuff. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I totally get it. But Toronto, for as much as I hate the Raptors and everybody who listens knows I hate the Raptors, they're not a destination either. There's some geographical limitations that are that are at play there where players don't want to come to play in Canada. Oh, what's the point? I mean, Toronto, the Toronto traded for Lowry. They traded for DeRozan. Excuse me. They traded for. They drafted DeRozan and traded him for Kawhi. Mm-hmm. They and they drafted pretty much the rest of their team. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah. that's what I'm talking about. There's a team that's it's, equally as undesirable as Detroit. Right? No, I, I think Toronto is not an undesirable free agent. Free agent oh, I, I disagree. I don't think. I, I don't. I don't think it is at all. I mean, you hear but you hear all players talk about Toronto. I mean, yeah, the players. The players there are like, nothing I don't like but Toronto great. Either. They love Toronto. Yeah, yeah I don't. Players I don't have think nothing but great things to say about it. I don't it's think Kawhi a, wanted to be there. No, of course he. Well, I think I think if the if the Clippers had not been an available destination, I think he would have stayed in Toronto. Uh, if he if he had not thought that there was a place to go, I don't do not think he wanted to play with LeBron. I don't. I just don't think that's how Kawhi was. I don't think he wanted to go to an existing super team. I think that if the Clippers had if they had not been able to make it work, he would have stayed in Toronto. But I have heard nothing but good things from from players about Toronto, about the fan base, about the city. Yeah, it's a cool city. It's yeah, a cool city. I've heard. Yeah, and I, I've heard I've heard nothing but good things about it. I but think, even you, even you look at Toronto in this situation. Okay, do you think Toronto's going to win that? If we're talking just pure champions, do you think Toronto's going to win that championship if if Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant are, are not with injury? No, no, certainly not. But there's yeah, also that, a level of team. fortune. There's a level of fortune you have to yeah. to to benefit from to to go on any kind of deep yeah, playoff run. Really, you know, getting, there's an element of luck for sure. What are we even discussing here, though? I mean, are we are we discussing like basically this comes back to like how the Pistons are doing this season, and what are you going to do to change how they're doing right now? I mean, you can you can call it disgraceful. The, the fact is, I mean, I know Tommy's okay with it because it means a probable high pick. You really don't like it because you think it's the product of ineptitude. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I think it's the product partially of ineptitude, partially of just very bad bad fortune in, in terms of injuries and regressions and whatnot. Um, but it's probably going to lead to a better result than the Pistons just battling uh, to, to a better record uh, with a team that probably doesn't have long-term talent with ceiling enough to do well and i mean if, if you're going to say well should we have a better draft pick or a worse draft pick or higher or lower i'm going to say higher it's not fun to watch but a lot has gone wrong yeah but yeah it comes down to like what what don't we like that's that's happening like casey is just a befuddlingly bad offensive coach we all agree on that um and there's casey has like a career says <laughs> it's an entire career worth of data as, as far as just his his flaws as an offensive coach he's just he's bad at it yeah and yeah. so you have that you have the fact that troy weaver like tommy i know you think that this was intentional that he just nuked the team's rebounding for for the sake of tanking i think he just screwed up really the fact that he has no above the rim players i mean that's not a way to, to tank a team that's a way to just i don't think that's good for anybody not good for development not good for anything no 
I think he just screwed up the fact that seven out of his eight players, you could cut Kate out of the equation, and it's six out of seven players he's drafted been below level, uh, below average NBA athletes. You don't have to draft Livers. You don't have to draft Garza. Um, you can go with guys uh, who are a bit higher on the athletic scale. Um, it's frustrating yeah, because the team is worse than it has to be if it had a better coach and if just some other some minor things have been done differently in the offseason. That, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I want to make it clear. I hope maybe I'm not being clear enough, but I want to clarify. I'm not asking them to start trading first round picks to pick up win now guys to like push to be 500. You know, last year I was perfectly okay with the losses. At most points, I was rooting for the losses. But there's a difference between last year and this year. You know what I mean? The guys were keeping it close. They were improving in real time. They looked like they cared. They looked competitive. That's the idea, right? That's that. That's that. That's the point that I'm trying to make here is that it's not necessarily that they're losing. It's the manner in which they're losing and the fact that, Mike, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's the product of ineptitude. I don't think it's by design. I think it's because the roster has had some swings and misses. Killian Hayes comes to mind. I think the coach is terrible. And I think uh, the players are just not synergetic right now. I think there's just been some befuddling decisions made that are leading to worse losses than need to actually occur. That's that's what I think. And, and I think that that's pretty evident when you watch. I think there have been two big problems with the way that the roster has kind of shaken out in terms of performance statistically. Uh, one of them is three-point shooting and the other is rebounding. The rebounding, I wasn't going to bring this up because I know you guys think I'm insane for this one, but I don't think that Weaver just doesn't understand the value of rebounding. Uh, a year ago when we signed Plumlee and Okafor, a lot of people, this was when we signed like six big men and everyone was like, geez, Troy Weaver, he really loves big guys. And he addressed, he was like, yeah, no, I do. I really do like having a lot of centers and I like having uh, a strong interior presence. And one of the things that he said, which it's always stuck with me, was that, the team that wins the rebounding battle usually wins the game. And it, it, it's, I struggle to think that the guy who said that, cause that's not, that's not like a common thing that people say. And I struggle to think that the, the, the man who said that just doesn't understand the value of rebounding. Maybe they thought Stewart was going to be better than he was. Cause I, I guess Stewart has probably underperformed this year. Uh, but his other, his backup center is Kelly Olenek a guy who's a stretch five. I think what he tried to address this offseason that hasn't gone well is shooting. The Pistons are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. Last year, they shot 35% and they were 21st in the league. This year, they are 29th or 30th throughout the whole season. I think that's why we're struggling well, so much that. harder. See, here's the thing. When it comes to Weaver, like this phrase keeps coming back to me. Like I, I'm a big fan of like the old Simpsons, where it, which is Duffman says a lot of things. <laughs> it's like, it's from... Uh, I guess that's a little bit different because in that situation, Duff manages lying. But it's basically you can say you can say things and still not really follow through on them or not really make decisions on the basis of them. You can say not oh, execute them properly. Not execute them properly. You can say yeah. I know. I mean, do you think is- that Troy Weaver thought that Kelly Olynyk was going to come in and no. be an impactful rebounder? No, I, no, I, I think, but but. But you're saying, but but your argument here, which which I know Dante and I strongly disagree with, is that this is the way that he was going to make the team bad and ensure that it was going to lose. I mean, sure, you take him away, yes. you take away more rebounding, you add more shooting. I mean, if if he really wants to make the team worse that way, you don't just add the shooting in the process. You don't um, you don't pursue this plan by drafting a bunch of non-athletic players who are not really going to going to contribute very well on the rebounding end of things. Yeah. I mean, this would have, this would have had to, this would have had to involve him like actively torpedoing the Pistons in the draft. Like, Oh, I'm just deliberately going to draft bad rebounders. Yeah. And I just, I don't, I I think it, it, but the crux of this is that, is that 
Troy Weaver, I like he's done some good things. He did get very fortunate with the first overall pick. I don't think he's really earned the benefit of the doubt yet. The fact that he's fielded a team that has no vertical spacing, way too little athleticism in general, that's a problem that's come from the draft, not just free agent signings, not just trades. And it's, yeah, it it just basically boils down to, do you believe that this guy is, is, I'm not, I'm saying the jury's out. I'm not saying I think Troy Weaver's incompetent. I'm saying I think the jury's out. And, no, and I don't think I don't think he's perfect either. I didn't like the Killian Hayes pick from the start. I thought that was a mistake. And of course, like, and it is that it's the butterfly effect is like we got Kate out of it, and that's great. But if we hadn't, yeah, it would be we would probably be looking and talking about Troy Weaver very differently. Yeah, uh, and it, that, yeah. The thing that I like about him and the way that the organization has been is that they've focused on this youth movement. They have not tried to win or be competitive too soon. That I will give them credit for because that's something that I've wanted for years. Yeah, but I, what I will say, and I, I think it, this should be noted, when it comes to last season, I know because Dante, you were talking about this, how the, how the the losses were competitive last season. It should be noted that as the season wore on, and as the, the Pistons fully committed to that uh, to that youth movement, like getting rid of Blake Griffin and uh, and getting rid of Derrick Rose and uh, getting rid of Dolan Wright, who was replaced by a better player in Corey Joseph, <laughs> it's basically just how it happened last year. I know it pissed some fans off, but that's what it was. Yeah, uh, whatever the case, the season wore on, the losses became significantly less competitive. It's just I think that it's easy to remember that differently because everybody was completely fine with it. It's like okay, we're halfway through the season. This is a strong draft. Really need a strong pick in this draft and lose games. Whatever. Okay, cool. Ha ha. The Pistons are losing. You know, is Jokic going to play? Is Butler going to play down the stretch? Are we going to be able to lose this game? I mean, I, I think that it's very easy to, 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 to think back. And I found myself uh, not even remembering that a lot of these losses were, were not really close yeah, down the stretch. But would you concede, yeah, though, that, that the guys up, but... would you concede that the guys were improving or appeared to be improving rather than regressing, even In if some the cases, scoreboard didn't reflect that, at least I more think, so than this year? I think that there just wasn't really as much thought of that. I mean, these, the, the players we were looking at were rookies. Like, sure, Bay was doing well. Hayes was just coming back from injury, and that didn't happen until April. Yeah, um, Stewart was still the backup center uh, and, and, and still a rookie, and you're not really looking at that sort of things. You just say, okay, these rookies are playing fairly well. Like, yay, that's great. I mean, Saban, we had a like, uh, you know, had four 20-plus point games, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, these rookies are playing well. That's fun. And then you come into this season and it doesn't continue. I mean, that's just an added dimension to it being unpleasant. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention the uh, the final scores things, but I did notice that. And I thought, I truthfully, I thought they were closer final scores, but I was looking at our season stats. And on basketball reference, there's actually a little chart right at the top of that page that shows the margin of victory uh, or margin of loss graphically. And uh, average margin of loss was like probably 10, especially near the tail end of the season. And that's, that's perfectly fine. I know that the last couple of games we've lost have been by 30. Uh, and then as far as why we're losing by a lot more, I think it's just we're, we've given a lot more uh, usage and responsibility to these young players. Sadiq Bey is a full-time starter. Right now he's functionally our second option. That's a step up. Isaiah Stewart, he's not the backup anymore. He's the starting center, and I think that's exposed a lot of uh, his issues. And then our lead ball handlers have been Killian Hayes and uh, Cade Cunningham. So when I think about the the objectives for the season, I was going to ask you this, Dante, like what should they be doing differently? They've given the most responsibility to the young players. Uh, Corey Joseph, I know people were complaining about his usage early on. Casey came out and said, he was like, yeah, we want to play Cade with another ball handler so that he's not overwhelmed to start. But he's been kind of, he, his role, I think, Mike, you mentioned that uh, his role has been 
reduced as the season's gone on. Like they're, they're treating this like a rebuild and the goal is not to win. It's to put these guys through the fire. And I think the uh, one way that you could look at this and pardon this analogy, cause I'm not trying to sound like one of these people, but like, I don't know if you, if you invest in stocks, uh, if you check your portfolio every day and you agonize over like your daily up and down, you're going to stress out over it. But if you like look at it over the long term, chances are you're going to be up, at least in this market. You, you go on Wall Street bets, eh? You're a big Wall Street bets guy? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, but that's 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 functionally what it is. Like guys have improved. Like Sadiq Bey, he started the year really rough and he's gotten better. Cade well, Cunningham, he started the year really rough. He's gotten better. Isaiah Stewart, he's still struggled. I think his issues are more... Uh, well, the lack of vertical and the fact that he's not shooting. It's stuff like that. Like guys, yeah. yeah, and he's under Exactly. It's stuff, it, but they're learning. And uh, it's exactly what you want. It's the, the vast majority of usage goes to young guys. And that's what's most important to me. So, Dante, what were your goals for this season? I think, well, the, the initial way you phrased that question was what could they do differently? And not that anything that you said was was wrong. In fact, I think you articulated it quite well. But one big issue I have and I don't think either of you will disagree with this, is that I that some of the coaching decisions, some of the organizational decisions have been so baffling to me that I, that I can't even begin to articulate it, but I will try. And I'm, I'm sorry to go back to the Lions again, but I just feel there's so many parallels between the Pistons and the Lions these last couple of years. And I've been super critical of the Lions head coach, Dan Campbell, this year. It's been up and down, but he's, he's sort of won me back uh, lately. And one thing that he stressed from the time that he was hired was that you're going to play or you're going to have a role based on what you earn. And there's a, there's a really great podcast, the uh, Detroit Lions podcast. It's run by a guy on Reddit named Chris. So shout out to him. He does a great uh, show. And he brought up this really great point about the Lions. And he said that they were so bereft of talent. Um, but one positive in there is that it allows the organization to play guys and give opportunities to guys who might not otherwise have that opportunity. And if they take those opportunities and run with them, you reward them. And cross-referencing this with the Pistons, I think about Hamadou Diallo, right? Here's a guy who on most other teams in the NBA would not ever, ever, ever have been given the role that he got the past, you know, this past week's worth of games before everybody came back from COVID there. And he just lit it up. He was averaging close to 30 points per game for like three, four games. He looked like he could thrive as the focal point of an offense. And and what happens when, when the guys come back? Diallo is reduced to someone who sits in the corner someone who cuts to the basket on occasion. And what he earned was completely thrown to the wayside in favor of some pre-existing direction or plan that the coaches or the organization wanted to go in. It doesn't make sense to me. And then inversely, you look at a guy like Killian Hayes, who has not earned you know, his spot, who has not earned his role, who has not earned his playing time by any stretch. And here he is now still starting, still handling the ball quite a bit, still being able to take shots whenever he wants. And, and that, to me, is something that they could do differently. That, to me, is an objective for the year that they've completely failed in. And that's giving guys who earn their role the benefit of the doubt and allowing them to continue to grow and taking away the roles from guys who are not earning it. There's one big issue I have with this season, to answer your question. I would say that's the regression... So I have two things to say about this, really. Uh, number one, I would say that the regression has more sources than simply the young guys are getting more of a role. Uh, for example, yeah, you don't sign a Linux and, and expect him to suddenly you know, be out for most of the season uh, up to this point. You don't expect the Pistons to come out and you know, even shoot well below their weight. 
Um, you have Kate, of course, who is going to have to get up to speed. You know, don't, don't expect his early season injury, but whatever. You just you a lot has gone wrong to get the Pistons to where they are in terms of injuries, just in terms of players playing very poorly. Of course, the coaching has been bad, also. I, I also don't agree that it's it's a simply a good thing to say. Okay, I, I think it's oversimplifying. I'll put it that way to say, okay, the the youth are just getting their opportunity. This is exactly what we want. I agree with Dante on that issue. That it's I don't think it's necessarily being targeted properly. Yeah, the way that things have been handled with Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham, I'm like, I think that was just dumb. <laughs> Basically, just the product of the organization thinking, okay, well, goodness, I mean, we we drafted Killian Hayes, who, who's really a lot of his talents, I think, has found, if he was going to have a role in the NBA, all, just all, a ton of his utility is loaded into being a possession-heavy ball handler. It's like, okay, well, we drafted him, and then, you know, a, a considerably better player who does the same thing, though has more off-ball utility became available uh well you know crap uh i hope we can play them together you yeah, know but seriously. we want to see they want to see what we have here seriously. Uh, and you know and maybe if we maybe if we push them together you know something will just you know something will happen and and great um and i i've got to think that these that these uh that the front office and Dwayne casey realized that it was unlikely the two of them will work well together but um i don't i don't begrudge them trying you know if we're looking back okay, it made perfect sense for them to try but after it became, I think, apparent that number one, Killian is still really bad, which we'll get to a little bit later. And also that you want to have Cade and uh, playing, you know, and not just him, but Bay and the others developing in, in, you know, in an ideal lineup. Why don't you put Frank Jackson in at shooting guard? Why do you run Bay on this hideously stupid experiment of, oh, just take the ball? This is the hardest thing to do in the NBA to generate offense out of nothing from the perimeter. And you're not necessarily athletically suited to it, but here, Sadiq, take the ball, take it, just go make something out of nothing. We're giving you thin air. We want you to make good offense out of it. And then just keep doing it again and again and again and again and again for like 25 games. Uh, that was incredibly clunky and stupid. Um, just, I would say the way that Killian has been handled overall, I don't think that he's being, and I know I'm getting to monologuing a little bit here, but I, I don't think that he's been mismanaged at all and in, in not letting him handle the ball because when he has gotten to handle the ball, he has been terrible. Like, terrible. I think that if he were not the seventh pick, he'd be in the G League because he has played worse than Saban Lee, without a doubt. Uh, and he's been one of the worst players in the NBA, like, incontestably. So, and you got, you, know, you came down to Diallo. Yeah, he's a young player. Uh, I, I think he needs to be able to shoot if he's going to be an effective starter in the league. But, yeah, everything went back to the way it was, and suddenly Diallo's in the corner, and, is, and despite being the best player on the team at attacking the basket, I think that's pretty much just is the case. He's not being given opportunities to do so in the course of, uh, in the flow of the offense. It's just go stand in the corner, and maybe some scraps will come your way. And that's not fair. That's, that's not, not fair, fair when you preach this Detroit grit, this earn-what-you-get mentality. He comes out, he explodes. Even the, the league takes notice. He's on the NBA's Instagram page, for God's sake. And now a non-shooter is relegated to being a corner spot-up shooter. That that's a blatant mishandling of your assets, and that's certainly not rewarding someone who came in and did exactly what you asked them to do. So this that's is, one yeah. of the big problems I have with this year. It's an issue, and that's that's Dwayne Casey. Does not surprise me. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say this. It's Dwayne Casey. I I, I fully expected. I mean, I, it started with just kind of having a feeling like, oh, this can't possibly be the case, but then just thinking, okay, yeah, this is probably going to happen because this is Dwayne Casey who runs an offense that can use only three people, is not innovative. Hamadou's going back in the corner. That's just how it is. 
it's not a good thing. It's it's dumb. It's just it's stupid and it's wasteful, but it's how it is with Dwayne Casey. Unfortunately for me to avoid getting really angry watching these games, I just have to I've just had to grow to accept Dwayne Casey for what he is uh, as an offensive coach, which is bad and he's going to do dumb things. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, I would have to agree with you guys on Killian. I, th- I definitely think he gets preferential treatment or more than he's realistically earned or deserves uh, just because he was the seventh overall pick. It's that, that I agree. Uh, it's questionable, but otherwise I think guys have been handed roles uh, where you really get to see what they're capable of. Like Sadiq Bey, uh, Mike, you made that point about he should not be trying to take the, like, like go, play off the dribble. He should be a catch and shoot option. I think he's just gotten this role because there really aren't a lot of guys that we can go to for creation. It has to be uh, like Cade Cunningham. Uh, but when we have more talent, like within two years, be that from another draft pick or two, or we finally get uh, some free agency money to spend on like an, a decent player, guys will fall down the totem pole and they'll settle into roles that are more akin to their strengths. And it'll be a lot more reasonable from them. You see this a lot when like guys try to go from uh, it, it, like Jeremy Grant is a good example. Like he was a much, he was a better three point shooter when he was a fourth option and a lot more of his offense was created for him. He comes and he tries to create a lot more of his own offense and his stats take a dive. That's kind of the trade off that you have. I think once we have more talent, it'll become the case that guys will settle into roles that they're more suited for and they'll be better players. Sadiq Bey, we know he's not a good second option. He's playing like a second option right now because realistically, who else should be on this team? But once the team is good, Guys like Isaiah Stewart, who should probably be a backup center. Guys like Sadiq Bey, who should probably be a fourth or fifth option. They will settle into their roles and they will be much more useful. Right now, we're seeing what they're capable of. There's no question of that. Uh, if the team was good and we didn't know that Sadiq Bey was not a good back-to-the-basket player or a good off-the-dribble player, that would be a question mark. But it's not because we've gotten to see it. Uh, I, I don't know if it was a matter of seeing if he can do this or not. I, I think just that the... The quote-unquote development plan for Bay was very harebrained. And I think with Isaiah Stewart, I don't think we're seeing what he can do. I think that Casey has basically devolved him to the level of an undersized traditional center who can't jump, which is not a good role. And I think he'd be a good post-up center. It's no, very hard to be a good post-up. I think he would overpower but guys. It is disappointing that he hasn't off, been shooting this year, though. Off the bench, maybe, against the yeah. bench centers. Yeah, maybe he can be a decent post-up center, but it's hard to be a good post-up center. It's hard to be a good post-up player in this league, period. So, but I mean... You look at things like I don't think you need to run Sadiq Bay on uh, like on a, on a zillion isolations from the perimeter on in 
you know, with full knowledge of what his athletic limitations are to know that he can't do that. Very, 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 very few players can do that on volume successfully. Almost all of them, or pretty much all of them have been all-stars or will be all-stars. I mean, that, that's, it's a very niche form of offense. And I don't yeah, think I that's... I think Isaiah is an effective player. We'll see. I mean, it, it's it's not easy to be an effective post player in the NBA. It's not yeah. easy for that. Yeah, but, uh, against starters, he's definitely not. But I think against like weaker competition, it would be maybe. a good role for him. Yeah. We'll see. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to say that, but... Uh, he's got some limitations, though. He's got some... Isaiah has some very significant limitations that yeah. cannot be overcome. I mean, Absolutely. he is undersized and he can't really jump. That's a big problem. I mean, it's a big problem for him on offense in particular, but even on defense when you've got these taller, much more athletic centers or guys who can just sky over him and know that they can, that if they, if they get high enough and scoop the ball high enough, they can just put it over his outstretched arm because he can't jump that high. So. No, I think that's, that's been another problem. It, when you talk about why the team is underperforming, they're just not talented. I've said it all year. And I think it's, it's, it's an issue. And I think it's easier for people to say that it's the effort level or the coaching or it's something that can't really be fixed immediately. It's well, it's like, a multifaceted problem, right? The lack of talent is certainly a huge issue. I think we can all agree yeah. the coaching is at least partially an issue. And I hope that we can all agree that the roster construct or some of the decisions that have been made with this roster, you know, draft picks, I'm looking at a specific seventh overall pick. That's 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 an equal part of problem as well. When I, when I think about what the roster, about the roster decisions, I just, I don't think it was meant to be good. You know, I don't think that they're trying to compete too early, so I don't take issue with uh, the way that the roster has been constructed. I think it would be a lot easier to swallow if they were shooting league average from three or above league average, because I think that's where the roster has been significantly worse than expected. You know, Troy Weaver said in the offseason, he's like, we're trying to address the shooting. Guys like Sadiq Bey regressed. Kelly Olenek hasn't been here uh, to help with that. That's where I think the team is underperforming relative to the expectation, even of a tanking team. That's what I think the problem is. I don't think, again, we're going to disagree on this. I I, I agree that the team wasn't meant to be too good. I mean, that would just, I think that's very, that's true. That's very reasonable to say. And I don't think, I don't think the Pistons should have been trying to compete. They shouldn't be trying to compete by any means, but I think that's, I think that's certain aspects of it, like the lack of athleticism, the lack of verticality. I don't, think that's the way that you make your team bad growing pains giving from giving the younger guys a bigger role could be expected but basically nuking the pick and roll i don't think that that's something that any general manager is going to willfully do especially when you've got kate cunningham coming in and you know that it's going to be an important thing for him yeah it's hurting him yeah yeah it's hurting him without a doubt but um not that i want to have the last word but uh we've gotten on to about 50 minutes now i know there are other some other players we wanted to talk about one of them is killian of course i don't think we have really a ton to say about him all of us are very disappointed in our wits end with him. I think it should be reiterated that like you can't simply, I mean, whatever, I don't want to say you can't simply, but basically the, the chain of events that led to the Pistons getting Cade was the chain of events that led to the Pistons getting Cade, getting Cade and Killian was one of those. And it was one of those events. I don't think you can really look good, reasonably look back uh, and say, oh, well, if we were just drafted such and such, then we'd have him and Cade. Like you change one thing. Then, then who knows what happens? So it's the butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Call it that. So, it was the pick a mistake at this point. It appears so, um, and you, you can call it what it is. And uh, like, I don't think the book, the book is written on Killian necessarily. Again, he's still only about twenty years old. Hasn't played a lot in the NBA. I think at this point, uh, Killian can be accurately summed up by the following: gifted passer. Respectable guard, one-on-one on-ball guard defender against a certain category of guards. And above all, an egregiously bad NBA player. 
and without a doubt, one of the worst players in the league. So I'm not saying that the book has been written on Killian. He's still young, hasn't been in the league for very long. But at this point, just the starting lineup is not the place for him to be. And I'll say it again. I think that if he were like the 20th pick, he would have been in the G League already uh, because he is just having a terrible, terrible, terrible time in the NBA. And as far as the starting lineup goes, like when Frank is back, when Frank Jackson, who's currently in health and safety protocols, when he comes back, put him in the starting lineup. Give the starting lineup a motion three-point shooter, a guy who can help to not just space the floor, but create separation, just make things easier on everybody. Like Killian takes an, a lineup that is not athletic already, makes it less athletic. He takes a lineup that moves poorly off the ball already, makes it that much worse. He takes a lineup that is bad in spacing and makes it that much worse. Like even when Killian was shooting a decent percentage, it was all threes from the corners. He cannot shoot from above the break. Player who can't shoot from above the break is not a spacing threat. He's just absolutely terrible at the NBA level right now. So I would like to see him out of the starting lineup and maybe in the G league where he can, he can compete at a level at which he can find some success. And I know Tommy, you are concerned about his level of confidence, but I don't think you can pander to the player's level of confidence when he's playing this poorly. I don't think that's really should be much of a function at all. No, not at all. And at this point it doesn't even matter. Like Frank Jackson, the starting lineup next to Cade has been a thing for me since preseason. And I felt that way because We've always known that the the best way to get really this season should be about Cade Cunningham and his development. And Killian Hayes, I, I've never really been a big believer in the, that pairing and the Cade Cunningham Killian Hayes thing. Uh, I know a lot of people were really excited about that early on when it saw some success or it looked somewhat plausible, but it's always going to be dependent on Killian being an aggressive scorer who shoots on volume from distance. And that just hasn't come about. Whereas Frank Jackson, he is willing to take those shots, and he does it effectively. So Killian Hayes is a player who's probably at his best with the ball in his hands. And if you want even if you don't want to see him in the Pistons uniform long term, just to build up his trade value, put him on the bench, put the ball in his hands, let him show off the skills that he has because the passing vision is one of them. And I don't think anybody's going to be like, yeah, no, we should take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands so that Killian Hayes uh, can be more comfortable. You know? Yeah, they're, so they're, they're, they're such really overlapping simple. players. Yeah, in terms of exactly. what, yeah, in terms of like, yeah, Killian, that, that was going to be his thing, I think, in the NBA, if he was to be is going to be successful, was as a possession-heavy player, possession-heavy ball handler, like particularly in the pick and roll, which made it all the more unfortunate last season that he came in and was the worst pick and roll guard in the league last season in the NBA, like unequivocally, no matter what you want to say about his injury or anything. I mean, that's that's a shocking thing to manage. But yeah, even before, even before he had the, uh, even before we had drafted Cade Cunningham, I kind of started to think, okay, he doesn't really seem aggressive or talented enough to be a lead guard. Maybe he can take on the Lonzo ball role, but even that he just hasn't made progress. He made a little bit of progress, I think on his aggressiveness and uh, attacking the basket. He does it like once or twice a game now, whereas to start the year he was at like zero, but it's just not enough. It's functionally not not enough. It's not just that. I mean, he. if you want to talk about your ideal complement next to Caden, especially in a lineup that probably will at least feature Sadiq Bey in the starting lineup in the long term, I would guess, you really want to have a guy who's more athletic, obviously can move off the ball more. You want to put the max, maximum number of, uh, of options around Cade as far as cuts, uh, motion three-point shooters, uh, you know, lob threats, whatever. And Killian, the Lonzo role is very limited. It works only well in certain situations. Like Lonzo is playing next to Levine and DeRozan right now. He's playing next to Ingram and Zion last season. You got to have the right situation that requires this guy to do nothing but uh, basically shoot open threes and give him the space that he needs to do so. So even even the Lonzo role 
it needs to be in, in certain, it needs to be, it, it does a precarious fit and the Pistons don't have that. But I disagree. You can send him to the bench and build his trade value because he's done just as terrible and he's done terrible in every situation as an on-ball handler. Yeah, I, I I think the Killian Hayes pick can sort of be summed up with the whole. So other than that, Miss Lincoln, how was the play? Right, like it's like <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> I mean, rough. I know that's a, that's a bit uh, it's a bit harsh, but like we just got done. What is it? We've been talking about him for five or six minutes. None of it is positive, and and it's like I know we talked earlier, Mike. You're the one who brought it up. The butterfly effect, right? The you know, it's it's not easy to say. Oh, what if we had Cade and and such and such guy, right? But it's like. You can't help but wonder what what does a Cole Anthony look like on this team? What what does a Tyrese Halliburton look like on this team? What, maybe yeah, that's we, the one. Exactly. Right. It's like what if we trade back, right? What if we do any number of things but pick a guy who very clearly, at least right now, is not an NBA player? And I mean, it's it's yeah. bad. Like it's not just he's not just struggling. He is egregiously bad. He's not just a, a zero out there. He is an active negative because of how bad he is. I think he detracts. Uh, from a lot of the other players, especially Cade, which is the absolute worst thing that you can do, especially this year, which, like Tommy said, is a development year for Cade. You know, that's the lead storyline. And him, I don't care what he says about how much he enjoys playing with Hayes. It doesn't work. It doesn't look good. It doesn't pass the eye test. Statistically, I don't think it works out to be very good. And, and overall, he just is, he's not an NBA guy, uh, at least not right now. So do I, am I ready to start throwing out the B word? It's like, he's 20. You don't want to cut him. He doesn't have trade value. You obviously kind of stick him wherever you can stick him and see if maybe you eventually have something there. But it's like, what do we have at this point? Probably by the end of this season, you're looking at you've burned two years of team control. He hasn't improved in any single facet of his game at all since coming into the NBA. And you spent a top 10 pick on him. So that, to me, by every conceivable metric is a swing and a miss, I think. If he ever becomes something greater than what he is now, that'll be a pleasant surprise. But just, I just don't see a path to it. Like It's like, what, is he all of a sudden going to acquire a shooting touch? Is he all of a sudden going to have a, an effective first step? Is he going to get faster? Is he going to become more explosive, more athletic? It's like, no. You know, you look at a guy like Cade, and you're like, okay, he can improve his ball handling. He can improve his shooting consistency. His mind for the game is going to mature. With Hayes, I just don't see a viable path for him to improve nearly substantially enough for him to be an effective NBA, not even an effective NBA player, just an NBA player in general. So right now, I don't really know what you do with him. Like, like Tommy, I get what you're saying about, you know, stick him on the on the bench there, let him build his trade value. But to Mike's point, he has struggled in every situation. Yeah, I don't he's think been bad. He's been bad. Generally, he's been terrible. Been terrible. So yeah, it's like, like yeah. 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 Go ahead, Mike. So it's not just, I mean, it's, it's not just a question of, can he can he improve his skills? Can he become a good fit next to Cade? And I think the answer to that is incre- it's just incredibly unlikely, I would say. And as as far as how they've played together, I mean, if you look at look at it statistically, like this this is one place in which you really have to just look at the whole picture statistically. Because if you look at his on off numbers, Cade's on off numbers for Killian are concerned. It would look that like okay, Cade is just a better player with Killian on the floor. And then you look at the fact that Casey has basically taken it, I think, a little bit too far and saying, "Oh, yeah, we need to have another ball handler on the floor with Cade," because when he's not been with Killian, when Killian's been injured or whatever else, Cade has been on the floor the vast majority of his minutes with Corey Joseph and Saban Lee, neither one of whom is by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever a viable off-ball player. Saban Lee really isn't an NBA player of any stripe right now. Yeah, those are terrible fits for Cade. And, yeah, that's such a good and, point. Yeah, and if if you hadn't, I mean, and again, this is one of these just unfortunate things that is just Wayne Casey. The number of minutes that Cade has played at point guard with Frank at shooting guard, 
uh, and say with, you know, before Grant's injury, like the, the number of the number of lineup minutes that was given to Cade, Frank Jackson, Sadiq Bey, uh, Jeremy Grant, and Isaiah Stewart, which is a reasonable lineup, near zero. I mean, that lineup is hardly played together at all. So, uh, you know, you, you haven't seen that, which which I think would be the most viable lineup. I mean, you take Grant out of the equation, of course. You've got uh, Hamadou in the lineup instead. But that, that lineup just hasn't played. I think, Frank, you put it this way, Tommy, is just, just the most reasonable and obvious option to play shooting guard next to Cade. So, yeah, it, it's a shame with Killian. But like I said, Pistons give him time. Cool. That makes all the sense in the world. Give him time in the starting lineup next to your franchise player when he's just not a good fit and he's making problems for everybody. Irresponsible. Yeah, not not quite good. And I do want to make a point about his defense because uh, I think his defensive reputation has grown a little bit overblown. Killian is a is is legitimately a, a very capable one on one guard defender in isolation against non explosive guards. In some situations, he can do quite well. He's tenacious. He moves his feet and uh, he's good at poking the ball away and so on and so forth. And he's good at playing the passing lanes in general. Uh, against in really any other situation, not so good. He is terrible against explosive point guards who just blow past him. He is awful against quick point guards who can uh, who can get the ball and, and handoffs around a screen and shoot. Killing will never catch up. And he's just absolutely dreadful against explosive point guards in the pick and roll because Killing has awful. It's just an awful defensive first step. He was taken off of John Morant after a very short time. Because they, the Grizzlies were basically just running the pick and roll. Killian would run into Steven Adams, who sets very good screens. And he would be like six feet behind John Morant because he just can't catch up in those situations. It's too slow. And he just gets overpowered when anybody's stronger on him. So his defense really isn't that good either. Uh, not trying to nitpick. It's just he really has no NBA caliber skills right now. Even his passing is really undercut by the fact that he won't go hard to the basket. He can't break down defenses. So you can go back and listen to our, our draft pods from... Uh, from prior to the 2020 draft. I didn't want him. Like, Tommy was a huge fan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I, I really I really did like Killian Hayes back then. I think yeah. uh, me and pretty much everybody uh, wrongly believed that he had some NBA-ready skills that he could just that he could take right into the, into the National Basketball Association. He has not. Boy, did he not possess yeah, he has, those skills. He has, yeah. he has been appallingly bad, like yep. remarkably bad at the NBA yep. level. So yeah, on to Sadiq. So as we know, uh, prior to the last couple games in which Sadiq has kind of really struggled... Uh, he'd really turned a season around from being uh, absolutely awful, like terrible on offense and just entirely discombobulated and, and just visibly very phased in general on defense and, and overall to really putting together a pretty darn good stretch of games. So, yeah, let's talk about what has changed for Sadiq Bey as far as, you know, how he's being used, how he's playing. That's really brought about, I mean, beyond just shooting better from three. No, is it think, obvious? Apparel? Yeah. Have, have we seen the headband? True. Are we going yeah, to talk exactly. about the headband? Are we going to do we question on honest question for you guys? Because I know where I fall on this. Do we think that there's a psychological component? Because I do. I, I think that him putting on the headband has boosted his confidence. Honestly, all it sometimes all it takes for good players to get out of a rut is one, you know, slump busting performance. And if that just coincided with a headband, don't ever take it off. I don't uh, know about that, but psychological yeah. for sure. Like he had that game winner against the Spurs. He came out and shot. That was nuts. Ridiculously well the next yep. game. I yep. think it the start of the season, I think it's been a psychological thing for him. And I think that being a higher priority on the scouting report for the opponents has been really tough for him because, like I said earlier on, he really shouldn't be a second or third option. He shouldn't be – you know, on a good team, he wouldn't be taking this many shots and his shot selection wouldn't be this varied. But 
as he's kind of cut out the bad shots as the seasons wore on, uh, I think that's been the biggest thing for him because when he sticks to his strengths, he does well. It's just we don't have a lot of players around him that allow him to just focus on what he's good at. He has to do more or he's expected to do more. Mm -hmm. That's all I think it is. Mm -hmm. I think that's very well said. I completely agree. I, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, all of a sudden you snap your fingers, put a headband on and you're good now. I think there is a small psychological component to that, but we'll leave it there. What I think it really is, is that when Sadiq is allowed to just play within himself, to play in the role that he's best suited for, he can elevate his own play and he can elevate the play of others by being that reliable spacing threat, someone who can absolutely make the defense pay, even if he doesn't have a lot of room to do so. I mean, that shot against the Spurs, like, yeah, obviously that's a fluky shot. That's not something that you are ever going to make at a high percentage. There's two guys draped all over you. But it speaks to the broader point of Sadiq is able to elevate over guys, pull the trigger even when they're right in his face, and he can hit tough shots. And a little bit too, we've talked a lot about motion threes for him on this show. I've seen quite a few times in the past couple of weeks, he'll grab a handoff, he'll dribble to the side, he'll do something where he's he doesn't have his feet set, he's moving, but he'll nail the three anyway. And I think that's such a huge development in his game, and that's something that will allow him to take that next step as a player, but still hopefully, ideally, play within his role because that's where he's best. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's been a significant change to his role. Uh, just uh, the, the way he's played, the way he's being used has, has changed a great deal. Uh, certainly from right around when uh, Jeremy Grant went down. And I think that the change to a style of play that more suits him I mean, that's been very helpful to him on offense. I mean, him hitting his threes is also helpful, though he's taking different a different sort of threes now uh, than he had been before. Uh, and also just I think that's, yeah, the confidence has been a thing, like not doing a ter- not being terrible on offense again and again and failing again and again on ISOs and whatever else, which, which had really just had, a, I think, a visibly deleterious effect upon the rest of his game, playing very tentative on defense, just seeming completely out of sorts, making uncharacteristic mistakes and, and so on. So... We knew how he began the year. We talked about it a little bit earlier in this episode, which is basically is the experiments. And this began actually in, in summer league, just take the ball and try to create with it. And this would generally end in one of four things. He would take a flat-footed layup through multiple coverage. This is just a low-percentage shot uh, because the defense has, Sadiq's not fast. Defense has a long time to adjust when he tries to ISO from the perimeter. He would take a bad floater through contact. He would take a bad spin around post up uh, jumper. Uh, you know, he would get stopped. He would post up and spin and shoot. That's a bad shot. Or he would take a bad mid range pull up. So, all bad shots. So, his role is, is certainly like the, the ISOs have made a comeback at times, uh, invariably to his detriment. But where he succeeded was more of a move to if, when he's creating offense to creating it from within the perimeter, where his speed is less of an issue and the strength is more of an asset. It's so just higher efficiency offense within the perimeter. More uh, of last season's sort of role in the perimeter, just cruising around within trying to find threes from within the open threes from within the flow of the offense, and and then some attacking mismatches like when he gets when he gets onto a player who is significantly weaker than he is attack baseline for example. So I, I think it's the distinction between Sadiq as a creator who shoots some threes versus a three point shooter who does some creation in advantageous circumstances. Uh, I thought, yeah, the motion three-point shooting, I thought was his next frontier. I know, Tommy, you felt the same way. And I think Tadiq is going, his his ideal role is is, is, is a volume three-point shooter who can, in some situations, create offense in advantageous situations 
versus a guy who's just going to be leaned upon as a creator and is also going to shoot threes. So I think that's where the change has come. And I think that greater success has definitely shown us more of last season, Sadiq, and just, you know, allowing him to manifest that sort of very wise beyond his years and composed beyond his years, that sort of mentality and just make the right decision. And he's been passing more and so on and so forth as well. I don't know how much of just like the take the ball and score with it. Like, was he not passing because he just couldn't? Or was was this part of the agenda? Like, we want you to learn how to score off the dribble from the perimeter. So I don't know. I I don't think highly of the way that the coaching staff went about it, though. I think I made that clear. Um, All right, Tommy, any thoughts about Sadiq? Any further thoughts? Nope, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I guess I would start the last player uh, with an apology because I I guess I've probably been lowest on him out of the three of us, mm-hmm. and that would be Hamadou Diallo. I thought that his lack of a three-point shot would make him pretty much completely ineffective, and he's routinely proven me wrong over the past couple of weeks. His athleticism and the activity and the energy that he plays with has been phenomenal, and it's effective. And I didn't think that it would be a good fit next to Cade, but in the starting lineup, I think he just finds ways to be effective. I thought his attitude would be, maybe be a problem, um, I thought primarily I thought it was the lack of three point shooting because that's still an issue. And I think it's still going to hold him back. But it, for a team that's so depleted of assets and options, I think he's been more than valuable. So I would just say, say that, like, he's a, he's a bright spot in an otherwise pretty, pretty dark season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you made the mistake of thinking he didn't listen to the show all those times. Where you <laughs> he, he didn't think. Oh, yeah, he, he heard me talking trash. He, he heard like, you. Yeah, prove, he heard you. And, and, then he started, wrong. Yeah, and then he started screaming at Casey and then he got some playing time and then he really turned it on. But I mean, joking aside, look, it's it's is the fit with Cade an ideal one? You know, probably not. Ideally, you want someone who can hit the three reliably. But compared to what Cade has been working with, you know, the Killian Hayes of the world, Diallo must just be a godsend as someone who can jump and actually elevate above the rim. You know, someone who can get their first step off and not be slow as molasses. Someone who can contort their body, you know, in an acrobatic way and still have some nice touch around the rim to finish. Tough looks in traffic. And above all else, someone who's a threat to do anything athletically, anything vertically. Someone who introduces a new wrinkle that the defense really doesn't have to worry about when it comes to the rest of this roster. Because like we keep pointing out, Mike especially, we're so devoid of athleticism. We're so devoid of effective off-ball movers. And we're especially devoid of people who can play above the rim. And I think that Diallo really encompasses a lot of those key aspects of what makes a success, uh, excuse me, successful lineup out on the floor uh, really run. Um, and so, yeah, he just, he just throws something new in there. So it's, it's, I can't even tell you guys how much it hurts me to see him have such an exceptional string of games and then be relegated to sitting in the corner and occasionally cutting to the basket. Now it just, I know this is the positive segment, so you can go back and listen like 30 minutes ago when we discussed that, but overall, if Diallo is used properly, and that's, that's a big if, because with this coaching staff, nothing is a guarantee. But if Diallo is used properly, if he's developed in in an effective way, I think that we're looking at someone who we sort of picked up off the scrap heap who can really be, you know, maybe not a major piece, but a piece, someone who can be here long term and on a team that's really hurting for guys who we know are going to be here throughout the duration of the rebuild and can actually help us long term. That's invaluable. 
So I think we need to prioritize playing to Diallo's strengths and rewarding him, you know, when he shows out, which we're not doing right now, but hopefully that changes. Yeah, I would say, I mean, those those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time know that I was probably the highest on Diallo out of the three of us. So I will say, with respect to how he was handled early in, in the season, I mean, Diallo did not have a good preseason. He does not appear. It, 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 there was a lot of talk, rightly, like, okay, he's got to work on a shot. This guy could be a good player in the league. I don't think he worked on a shot at all in the offseason, which is, if true, I mean, that's that's on him. But, yeah, Diallo has a lot of assets. And I think that, I mean, if you add a shot to his game, I, I've talked about this many times. If you if he becomes a reliable three-point shooter, like, fantastic. I mean, he's got starter potential in the league, 100%. Because Diallo isn't just athletic. Diallo is, like, 99th percentile athletic, one of the most athletic players in the league. And he's incredibly quick. He's explosive. He's strong. He's a great leaper. And so if you had a three-point shot in there, then great. He can space the floor. Players have to respect him, like on, on closeouts. I mean, if if you if if Diallo has, um, sorry for those of you who just heard the text message. Um, <laughs> so if Diallo catches the ball on the perimeter and he's open, and somebody has to close out on him, so basically either Diallo is going to get that shot if he can if he's a good three point shooter and he can hit his open threes, great. Uh, you get a high percentage, a, a good chance at a high percentage, but excuse me, a high efficiency bucket. And otherwise, I mean, if you close out, I mean, it's almost. Okay. That's <laughs> what happens when you don't put your phone on silent. Popular so, guy. I think yeah. it's Diallo texting in. Yeah, definitely. In yeah, he's actually telling me what to say. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you have to close out on Diallo, you're toast because he's going to blow right past you. And then somebody has to come help. And Diallo has proven he can make the open pass. So uh, yeah, I mean, if you can get that shot together, absolutely. I mean, I've, my, he has, he has uh, startup potential as the business. Maybe the guy you put next to Cade, who knows? But uh, yeah, I've I've enjoyed watching him get his shot and and show what he is able to do and i think defensively he's done pretty well also he needs to work on his instincts but he's a sticky defender uh, he's actually really good at uh at getting loose balls at uh at poking away balls and picking them up and he doesn't gamble uh, in order to do so i mean it's not like he's going for steals and giving up buckets and he just he finds his ways to be effective he's he's definitely a strong rebounder he's a strong offensive rebounder he knows where to be he's quick enough to get there and yeah, I would like to see him continue to be used according to his strengths. Uh, like I said, I've accepted that that this coaching staff just does certain things in its own way that it just has to be accepted. There's not necessarily a high level of uh, high level of effectiveness there in terms of the offensive coaching. But yeah, if he can spend the offseason, get a shot together, you know, great. Might have a long term piece for the Pistons there. But I mean, I know in an episode which we opened by talking about again, we believe falsely or. Uh, you know, without justification, uh, one you know national analyst talking about how the Pistons just aren't competing. You can't say with Diallo that he's not competing on every play. Certainly not. Certainly yeah. not. That guy tries his ass off all the yeah. time, hundred percent of the time. He's going full throttle, and that, like Garza, I said this a couple episodes ago about uh, Luca Garza. You got to appreciate someone who gives it their all, even when they're down by twenty five or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. That that to me is what defines a, a winning culture. Yeah, and Garza, we actually have been planning to talk about in this episode, but we've just about run out of time, so we'll get to him next week. Uh, all right, folks. Well, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, actually, usually we'd have viewers who submitted questions at this point, but we were a little bit too late in asking for those, so uh, we did get some. We'll cover them in the next episode as well. We'll take a rain check on them. Absolutely. So uh, thanks, folks, for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.